Good morning. Now, <laughs> I've been racing around like a chicken with its head cut off all morning. Um, so I'm just going to stop for a moment and pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, you know um, what my morning's been like. You know what everyone's morning here has been like. Um, we come to you this morning to listen to what you have to say to us. Help me speak your word and help me not speak anything that's not from you. And we love you heaps. Amen. Oh, I hope you've had a week walking with Jesus. I know I say that often, but I don't say it as a nice thing to say. Like, <laughs> it is a nice thing to say, sure. But it's actually what I want for each of you and for me, that we have a week walking with Jesus. And today we get to explore this concept as we continue to look at how we're putting our vision statement into practice. Has anyone memorized our vision statement yet? Disappointing. <laughs> It's to be an intergenerational family being transformed into the likeness of Christ, impacting others with his love. Last week, Brendan looked at the opening line to be an intergenerational family. And next week, Donnie will will look at that last clause, impacting others with his love. So today, I get to, to explore that bit in the middle, being transformed into the likeness of Christ and what it means to walk the journey of the Christian life. Throughout Christian history, different phrases have been used to describe this. But basically, they all come down to the fact that the obedient Christian, act, the obedient Christian life in action changes a person. It changes their actions, it changes their thoughts, it changes their motivations. But the Christian life does not guarantee a problem-free life. Actually, it guarantees struggle. I've come to use the phrase spiritual formation to describe this. So when you hear me use the phrase spiritual formation, I'm meaning us turning into little Christs, becoming Christ-like. Spiritual formation is the work of becoming Christ-like. Billy Graham put it this way. Being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion It's a daily process whereby you grow to be more like Christ. I personally also emphasize the the concept of journey in terms of spiritual formation because I think the words we use, the analogies we use to describe this, they help shape our understanding of the Christian faith. I like the analogy of journey or gardening or renovating Because spiritual formation is not a one-off event, as Billy Graham just said. It's like cultivating a garden or renovating your house. It's active, it requires your thought, and it involves exposing the inner workings of your heart. We've just renovated our house and I exposed all of the inner workings of the bathroom. It's terrifying. Spiritual formation involves ripping things out. And in all this, things go wrong. Plans will change and hardships need to be overcome. You can see why the idea of journey, I think, echoes this nicely. 
And without having done the hard work of journeying with Jesus, tending to the garden of our heart or allowing Jesus to change our innermost being into his dwelling place, I think some of the other analogies that we use can lead us down the wrong path. The analogies of battles and wars and competing in sporting events. Because we start to see others around us as our enemies, as our competitors. And I don't think that's helpful for our spiritual formation. I understand the Bible uses those analogies well, but I think it's within the context of the enemy is not out there. The enemy is working in my heart. Spiritual formation, then, is what Jesus does in us when we acknowledge him as Lord. It's as simple and as complicated as trusting him. It's simple enough to understand, but what I want to explore today, my natural inclination is not to trust God. I don't know about you, but my natural inclination is not to trust God. The primary place where we hear God speak to us is through the Bible. The Holy Spirit inspired the writings of these books, as we just heard the Bible Project guys say. And he continues to speak to his people through them. But we read other books that Christians have written, other Christian voices we listen to, and our own ability to honestly reflect on our inner selves plays a part in our spiritual formation. God uses other people to teach us things. Our journey towards Christ-likeness is relational. We can't do it on our own. But the ways of God often go against the grain to what feels right to the human heart. And we need to wrestle with what God says in the Bible. Okay, I've used the word wrestle. I'm not wrestling with Randall. I'm wrestling with what God has told us in the Bible. Rich Mullins is one of the voices that has played a huge role in my spiritual formation over the years. You'll know Rich Mullins' song, Awesome God. I like the song, but it's not his best work. I don't want to disparage his work, but uh, he has so much other content. And I want to share with you some words from his song, Hold Me Jesus. Because Rich had a way of describing the inner struggle of becoming Christ-like that cuts to the heart. So the words to that song are, Sometimes my life just don't make sense at all. When the mountains look so big and my faith just seems so small. I wake up and in the night and feel the dark. It's so hot inside my soul, I swear there must be blisters on my heart. Surrender don't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than to take what you give that I need. And I've beat my head against so many walls, now I'm falling down. I'm falling on my knees. Does that resonate with anyone else here? Have you experienced times in your life where it don't make sense at all? When the mountain seems so big against your small faith, but the line that has deeply resonated with me over the years is, surrender don't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than to take what you give that I need. I've beat my head against so many walls. 
Does does it still resonate with you? That hits me hard. There's something deep within me that is resistant to change. And in the chorus, Rich sings, Hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You've been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? I think we find it easier to see God as our king of glory. But sometimes we need to experience him as the prince of peace. Many times I've prayed this as I try to sleep after a hard day or something is, is troubling me. And I see a lot of echoes of this song in Psalm 73 which says, When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was stupid and arrogant, ignorant. I was like an animal before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. You will guide me with your plan and afterward receive me to glory. Whom do I in heaven but you? And with you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you feel the similarities? Rich and and the psalmist seem to understand that, that following God, being a part of God's people, wasn't easy. Some of us in this room today have been walking with Jesus for many years. And while we might agree that we wouldn't have it any other way, it's not always been easy. Which is why I come back to the analogy of journey. Journeys are not easy. Sometimes the journey is pretty easy going. The ground under your feet is soft. The air refreshes your lungs. You can see amazing scenery. You meet some weird and wonderful people. Or you connect with others traveling with you. Other times, you struggle to just put one foot in front of the other. You feel like you take one step forward and two steps back. There are hills to climb. The hard, stony ground hurts your feet as you struggle to breathe. And you feel like you're alone. All of this is part of being on a journey. But you're never alone. The the journey with Jesus or the journey of our spiritual formation, often starts before we meet Jesus. God is at work in our hearts behind the scenes for days or months, or in some cases years. And then through one event or a few events, a number of events, we meet Jesus and something happens in our heart. Something is ignited in our heart. Jesus becomes the center of our faith. As we saw, Jesus is the center of the Bible. The Old Testament (laughs) points to Jesus. The New Testament refers back to and points back to Jesus. Christ is the center. When we had our visioning days, we had a huge discussion about the order of the phrases that we've got. We all agreed that they're equally important. And, and we had a discussion about putting um, being transformed into the likeness of Christ first because that's the most important thing. We had that sort of discussion of it should come first because the other things flow from it. But I, I really like it being in the centre of our vision statement because the way I see it is Christ is the centre of what we believe quite a life and he's literally the centre of the statement that we make about our vision statement. It's very poetic, think, and I, I get it. 
Maybe not everyone will see that on the first reading, but I still think that's pretty cool. Christ is the centre of our vision statement. And when Christ becomes the centre of our lives, he begins the work of renovating our heart, our innermost being, because he intends to dwell there. He wants to live in us. But our hearts are not fit for a king yet. On Friday, I shared to the Kwan Life Facebook page a film clip for that song, Hold Me Jesus. And it was filmed in an attic. That attic was Rich's home in a friend's house. And he had to renovate that attic before he moved in. And he wrote an article about that attic. And he talked of how it had its own idea of what square means. And it it was resistant to change, openly hostile to his ideas of what it could be. A space that he would like to inhabit and be on friendly terms with. He didn't merely see it as that empty space between the ceiling and and the roof. You can see where he's going with this. And he writes, But late at night I am strangely moved by the place and I proclaim the gospel to it softly. I say, I know it hurts how it hurts to be torn up. I know what it's like to settle into the despair of believing that you're a wasted space. But we are not wasted space. We are temples of a being greater than ourselves, temples being built to be inhabited and brought to life. Though we may not understand the process, our rebuilder does. We are his workmanship and and the place where he lives. Can you remember when you met Jesus? For some of you, you might remember a single event. Others, like myself, we don't have one event. But several events over, spanning over a number of years. When Jesus comes into our life, he begins the renovation work, making us into the place fit for a king to dwell we humans we like to think we know best Adam and Eve took the fruit so they could define what good and evil was our natural state is much like that attic our natural state has its own ideas of how things should be and sometimes our natural state is openly hostile to change do you recognise that in your heart? If it's just me. If it's just me, I'll stop. I'm suspecting there's more, though. And Jesus' answer is not a quick paint job with cheap paint, cheap carpet, to cover up the ugly truth of what's behind it. Jesus says that we need to die to self, to give up our ideas of what's good and right. In the middle of Mark's Gospel, Jesus challenges those who say they want to follow Jesus. And he says, then he called his disciples and the people around him and said to them, if anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, they must give up all right to themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. The one who tries to save their life will lose it. It is the one who loses their life for my sake and the gospels who will save it. How does that sound to our 21st century Western ears? 
If we want to go on this journey with Jesus, he tells us to give up all rights to the self. Does your heart go, yes? Because mine doesn't. Do you cringe to hear those words? What about the good bits, Lord? I've got good bits. Surely I can keep the good bits. What about my abilities? What about my strengths? If anyone wants to follow in his footsteps, they must give up all rights to themselves. Even the bits they perceive to be their good bits. But this is the amazing bit. I love this. Because Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sorry, I didn't have that one up there, did I? That was in Matthew 11. I find this a really powerful image. The God who created the universe has invited you on a journey. A journey of becoming a new person. And he will be walking alongside you. That's not how the world works, is it? The CEO of a company doesn't walk alongside those on the bottom rung. They stand above them, handing down directives to control the behaviour of those below them. Or they can stand behind them with a whip, whipping those who step out of line. That's the way you get people to do what you want, isn't it? You give them commands. You punish them when they do wrong. These are the ways of the world. But walking beside, that's a bit different. Can I tell you a secret that I've learnt from from being a teacher and involved in in behaviour change? There's no other way to affect authentic behaviour change than to walk beside someone. There's no other way to affect authentic behaviour change than to walk beside someone. The best that the controlling behaviours does, it, it can achieve compliance. But Jesus is not interested in our mere compliance. Jesus wants to see how our hearts changed. Jesus is transforming us. He is changing us to be like himself and our behaviour will begin to change when we walk alongside him. We will see things differently because... He sees things differently. Our whole being will change. But there are two enemies to this idea of walking beside. There is an enemy that's far away, which is to, to, to walk away. The enemy to walking alongside is to walk away, which is to, to give up, to shut down, to protect myself, to disconnect from the church, from God, from others. Most of us are able to see that enemy and for most part we can, we can avoid it. But there's, there's enemies that are closer to home that we call near enemies. What do I mean by that is that they look like walking alongside but are actually pre- preventing authentically walking beside. So they look like the thing but they're preventing you from actually getting to the thing 
they look like walking alongside. But if you, if you fall to these near enemies, you will never be able to get to the authentic walking alongside. They can appear to be walking alongside, but they can actually just be going through the motions. The heart is disengaged. And this is where we, 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 we try to control the path. Okay, I'll walk alongside you, but I'm going to control the path we're walking on. I'll carefully define what that path looks like. And you know what? We all probably do this more than we'd like to admit. We point to the performance of walking with Jesus. So how are you going with your walk, walking with Jesus? Well, I'm reading the Bible most days, going to church three out of four weeks, and I'm even reading a few chapters a week of that Christian book that everyone's talking about at church. We want to control the perception of others. I want to look like I'm walking the walk, but, you know, maybe without the hassle of actually changing. This is merely compliance, not the obedient Christian life in action. And none of those things are bad in and of themselves. But for our heart to remain, but our heart remains unchanged. And we're only doing them for appearances. Then we're not walking alongside. And we all do this. It's an easy trap to fall into. I almost fell into it while I was writing this sermon. And my wife read the sermon and said, did you know? <laughs> so I'm not, there's no blame here. The blame's coming in here. I'm recognizing this in my own heart. But Jesus wants to walk alongside us and invites us to actually walk alongside him, not just to pretend. Jesus wants us to be like him. Now you're asking the question, aren't you? <laughs> what do I do, Nat? I've purposely not approached this message today with a list of things we ought to do. Some of you are probably a little frustrated by that. What Jesus asks us to do is simple. Trust him. And for each of us, that probably looks a little bit different. Maybe a place to start is by reading your Bible, and I totally encourage you to do this. But remember that reading your Bible is not walking alongside Jesus. It can be, and it probably is a very important part of it. But if you're just doing so to tick that box, I read the Bible today, I read the Bible yesterday, I read the Bible the day before, May I suggest, put the Bible down and pray. Maybe your starting point that day is in prayer. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Repent of, of your need to appear like you're doing all the right things. And then pick up the Bible again. The author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95, where he says, Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
Start by listening for God's voice, for Jesus' voice. The author then goes on to say, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is alive and active. I know I've had this discussion before. Is the word of God the Bible? Or is the word of God Jesus? Yes. The author then goes on. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus has walked the path of the human life. Jesus knows the human heart intimately. And he, the one through whom all things were created, the almighty God, wants to walk alongside us on this journey with the aim of making us more like him. Or as we say, sing at Christmas time, fit us for heaven to live with you there. I hope you'll permit me one last Rich Mullins quote and then two quotes from other people as I finish. Rich Mullins describes the human condition. We are frail, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, forged in the fires of human passion, choking on the fumes of selfish rage. And with these our hells and our heavens, so few inches apart, we must be awfully small and not as strong as we think we are. But this is not the end of our discussion. <laughs> it's been a different sermon than what I think you might have been expecting if you saw the topic. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to continue exploring the idea of, of Christ-centeredness. And then in a couple of weeks after that, I get to explore the idea of discipleship. It's all kind of one thing for me. <laughs> so to divide it into three sermons has been interesting. The Christian life is a journey it's not a checklist. Spiritual formation takes time. A journey is never as simple as getting from point A to point B. We humans, especially in the 21st century global north, we want things to happen immediately. Recently I heard a quote of someone saying, I would love to just go with the flow. I was just wondering, what time does the flow start and how long does it go? <laughs> Spiritual formation takes time. I don't know if I've said that enough this morning. The author of 1 John says, Dear friends, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. I want to leave you with a couple of quotes by people who have influenced me over the years. And I want you to contemplate these things and, and make them part of your thinking this, this week and over the next few weeks. I hope that they enrich this idea of your journey. The first one is by Tolkien. Not all those who wander are lost. Pick up your Bibles. Wander through them. 
put down your Bible plan for a few days. Just wander through the Bible. <laughs> What's Jesus going to show you? As we wander and read the Bible and talk with others, we need to be careful not just to see what we want to see. We are traveling on a journey with Jesus. We are not tourists. The second quote is by Chesterton. The traveler sees what he sees. The tourist sees what he comes to see. I hope that this week you've had a week walking with Jesus. If you've had a great week where everything is just falling into place, I pray that you remembered Jesus was right there beside you, encouraging you, smiling with you. If your week was full of struggle, I pray that you sensed the presence of Christ walking alongside you, comforting you. We at Kawana Life aim to be an intergenerational family, being transformed into the likeness of Christ, impacting others with his love.